Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs after a win. Who'd have thought? Not me. No, I'm not Paul Rudd. I'm not Jason Siegel. This is not I Love You Man. This is a Cavs Knicks recap pod. Peter Kennedy of the Subway Sports Talk podcast. You last heard from before the Cleveland New York first round matchup. This time, Peter, I'm sure we had our takes. We wrote them down somewhere. We talked to our friends in our group chats about it. But no pregame pod predictions, so I think it's a more safe common ground for both of us this time. Well, if I was right last time heading into that playoff series, I was wrong this time because I bet on the Knicks to uh, not to win yesterday and bet on them to win today. So that's uh, really where I'm at right now. Pretty clunky basketball by both sides. Injuries on both sides. More for your team than mine. However, I sit here a little bit like with my shrugging shoulders going on, not knowing what I just watched. I don't know how to feel, but I have some takes and we'll talk about it. So I'm All excited. Right. We will. Pete gives the Jeff Teague shrug and we've got across the Cavs, Cavs, Knicks post game coming up after this network. Two, one, six. <laughs> On the Cavs side, it felt like this three-game losing streak was a lot longer than it was. They lost on Friday, they lost on Saturday, and they lost on Tuesday. The way they lost on Friday was by blowing a 10-plus point lead with about 225. Meanwhile, tonight, Mike Breen on the Knicks broadcast was saying with 37 seconds, nine-point game, it's over. Forget about it. Meanwhile, it took another seven minutes for the game to officially end as the Fouls kept coming out. Mitchell Robinson stat padded his three points into five points at the foul line, and we did cook on the glass yet again. Then it was a loss to Indy because nobody was present. No Karras, or sorry, no Donovan in that one. Last night, I mean, if I if I tell you how many times, I'm not an angry sports viewer, Pete. I don't know if that comes across in a post-game pod, but the, the worst I'll do is I got a little throw pillow, put my fist in it a couple of times, but it's more just like, you do that, you put your hands behind your head, you stare at the ceiling, you close your eyes, you take a deep breath. Like, you know what? It's an 82-game season. It is what it is. But what are your thoughts? The Cavs and Knicks played twice. The Knicks won one, lost one. I know New York's had an interesting start to the season as opposed to the Cavs, who have just dealt with injuries. New York feels like not everybody's been on the same page with playing at their highest at the same time. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a weird start, and you got to think about the schedule a little bit. Right now, they've played all teams that are pretty much expected or hoping to be playoff teams or play in teams at minimum. You got the Celtics, you got the uh, the Cavs, obviously back to back, even though they're injured, and you get the Hawks and the Pelicans. Like none of those teams are bad teams. They beat the Hawks, they beat the Cavs once, lose to the Celtics on opening night, which was probably maybe the best game they've played this year, even though the, the win over the Hawks was very solid. So, you know, it's early in the season. I'm not going to freak out too hard. However, there are some things that are concerning that obviously we're looking closely at, and this schedule doesn't get easier. They got the Bucks coming up on Friday night. So the Knicks are not just a team that's a cute, good, exciting story this year, a lot like the Cavs from two years ago when they kind of burst on the scene. Then last year, all of a sudden, it's like expectation. What are you going to do for me now? I don't care about what happened in the beginning of the season or last year. Let's put your money where your mouth is. So a little disappointing for sure. However, I, I think there's just a little bit of time to find the rotational gel with the DiVincenzo of it all and to see Randall kind of get the jump shot going because the, the shooting from both teams for the past two nights, pretty ugly. Um, 
And also, honestly, even the Knicks win on the first game, the back-to-back wasn't super impressive. And it almost felt like they were due for this little letdown uh, in the second night of the back-to-back. Yeah, and this surprises me. Watching the game, it felt like Brunson was better than eight for 23. Right. And minus six. It felt like he did draw four charges. I uh, felt like Julius Randle was better than three. I know he wasn't good. And I know he's been bad, but I didn't know he was three of 15 with as many turnovers as field goals that the Knicks had 18 assists. I really don't think the Cavs are much better if they were better. 22 assists. Both teams, it felt like were just it was a slog to the end, right? They're just they're playing bop it with each other. Like the, the Knicks come down and they'll throw a little elbow, bop it, guy falls down. And then on the other side, you know, Cavs were, were making their free throws when they got there, but they were so cold. I didn't think they were going to win a game, uh, Pete, because eight and a half minutes into the in, only Donovan had scored. So it's yeah. like, what the heck is going on here? And then I think when, and I, it took a while to break away. But for me, it was that stretch last three and a half of the first quarter. You had Karras knocking down a jumper. Tristan scored one inside. Craig Porter had the finish as well. And you had the Max Strews three free throws after getting fouled, which was the only time he scored more than two. Another dud from him happened. So off to a good start. He'll get back. But it was that stretch for me where Donovan finally got a rest and other players actually did something where it seemed like they could play a complete game and maybe win one. Yeah, and on top of that, you can point to multiple things in this game. Like if you, as the Cavs guy, wanted to talk about how Donovan Mitchell couldn't hit a shot in the second half, you would have every right to do so. Like, oh, if Mitchell hit one or two shots, I mean, seriously, would have been a blowout. Not Maybe not a blowout, but you know what I'm saying. Same thing kind of for the Knicks, right? Randall looked afraid to shoot, which was actually the concerning part. Like if you have that three for 15 night, it's going to happen. But if you look really hesitant to shoot, which Randall did, that's what gets a little more frustrating. Like Mitchell, to his credit, even when he's ice cold, he doesn't hesitate. He's making his plays. He's playing his brand of basketball. If he had a couple shots there, you would be looking at this game different. But you could say the same thing about Randall and Brunson, who missed a ton of shots. And what I get a little nervous about, obviously Garland was out for the Cavs, and same with Jared Allen. R.J. Barrett being out for the Knicks, how dependent are they going to be on RJ Barrett? Cause for as much as you love a heart and DiVincenzo for what they do, um, maybe not always filling up the stat sheet from a points perspective, but all the other stuff, all the intangibles, they're not st- two players who can step up and carry a load. RJ Barrett can do that. We saw it in the playoffs last year, having those games where he can really put a hurting on teams, attacking the rim, hitting some jump shots. And it felt like they really just missed that secondary punch and, other than quickly kind of getting hot in the second half there, it was a lot of just very mediocre offense out of the Knicks tonight. And uh, early in the season, I'm not going to freak out, but it felt like the Barrett of it all was a little bit more important this early than I expected. Yeah, from the outside perspective, I never actually know how to gauge how he's playing because I'll, I'll watch a handful of Nick games every year. You know, I'm in the same market as you are. So every now and then I'll watch the Nets, I'll watch the Knicks and – it seemed that coming into the season, especially with the addition of DiVincenzo, let's see, maybe he'd lose value, maybe he'd play less. They don't need his scoring. I took him in fantasy, actually, this year with my – I think it was my final pick of the draft, second-to-last pick of the draft. He, he, he was rated pretty low, took Struess the pick after. Ups and downs. He does have two double-doubles. But anyway, back to R.J. Barrett. You know, when I actually watch, seems his mid-range game is going. He's got a smooth touch. He's a confident shooter. He can slash. 
He's not an elite defender, but he's a good enough defender that he can hold his own against some of the better players on other teams. But I felt if he was playing tonight in a game like this, of course, no Jared Allen, no Darius Garland, another day with no Ty Jerome. Craig Porter's been serviceable, but it would still be nice to have the shooting of a Ty Jerome at the point guard spot with Niang. I don't even know what's going on with him, truthfully. But Barrett would have made the difference in a game that, before all the fouls was what a seven or nine point difference. You had a couple buckets that Julius couldn't get that Jalen couldn't get that Dante or Hart were missing. And maybe they get the win. If they're able to bring Hart off the bench with IQ Dante and Hart, Hartenstein, Hartenstein rather, which I think is one of the best core four benches you'll have. They might've won, but because they didn't, you know, Karis Levert was the bench player to make the difference. Ended up with 19, 6, and 5, an efficient day on plus 10. He was very shy throughout, but a couple of huge Dean Wade threes. I don't know why he didn't close the game. And really, though, the Cavs only got regular production from Evan, Donovan, and Karis. And obviously, I'll finish this little mini thing with this. You know I had to bring it out. Shout out to Tristan Thompson. I've had this. Let's get a full... Get the full Thompson. I've had this jersey. The old number. Ah, he, he should be wearing 13. Right? Doesn't he look weird in number 12? I got to be yeah, honest. Like, it looks just like a little strange. And for anyone on audio, yeah, Tristan Thompson jersey. Still got it. Got this his rookie season. Uh, still here. The fact that we can rock it again is incredible. Truthfully, did not expect that option to come about. He does look weird in 12, but it's already grown on me. It just looks like off, right? Just like it, it, it literally is one number off, but it looks like he got the wrong jersey on. Well, you know what's funny is Della Vadova wore three different numbers with the Cavs, but no one had any thoughts about his 18 looking weird when he came. I, I liked his 18. I look at eight and I think it's foreign. I have his Kings jersey too. I got it last year. Um, when Weird year for him, of course. West Coast, barely getting in. First year, not being a rotation player in his whole career. Um, but... That said, some guys have multiple stints. Like, sure, did, did Kurt Thomas always wear forty when he was on the Knicks? Every uh, ten years, I, I can only I can only picture forty. So if he wore something else, I, I I can't I can't picture it off the top of my head. I'm sure there was anyone else. Real quick, any Knicks in recent memory that had a second tenure after leaving? Mm. His last yeah, we, Tyson Chandler, right? Didn't he get a second tenure? I don't know. What's popping into my head when you said that is all the random super uh, superstars or stars who showed up in New York for their final, you know, eight games of their career, like Tracy McGrady. I was just going to say that. I will say T-Mac debuted on Friday night, Knicks, if I remember mm-hmm. that correctly, and he had 26-3-3 and on that first game. I remember it well. They got him from Houston. That set the tone for him going to Detroit and Atlanta. And then the Spurs. I will say I liked Detroit McGrady. He had a couple triple doubles and played point guard for the first time in his career. I always love T Mac. Always love him. Cool that he's back. He's got his three on three league going now. Mm-hmm. And you guys had Larry Hughes at one point. I remember. Oh God, you're bringing up all this old stuff, man. It's making me my feelings hurt a little bit. The era of the Knicks going for these stars that are just no longer. Well, Larry Hughes wasn't a star, but you know what I mean. All these known commodities that the Knicks would just pull in and Steve outside Jordan. of outside of like Jason Kidd in that one year, they were the two seed. Like all of it feels like a failure. All oh, of hey. it just feels like it just went horribly wrong. Well, remember when they had a Francis Marbury backcourt, most expensive in the NBA and Walt Frazier, like Stevie franchise, Stevie franchise. And then they won like, 20 games. And that's yeah, what I did at that time. He didn't know how to run the team as coach. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, God, I, well, I thought we were. I thought we were here to talk about like Evan Mobley or something. We got. To, I would never talk about all this old stuff. It's making me sad. sad. All right, fine. Well, uh, <laughs> shout out, shout out to Prime Eddie Curry, averaging twenty and oh, seven. God. And now we'll switch to Evan Mobley. <laughs> was a problem just watch that, all my lights real quick that's the classic like bill simmons always brings this up how there's all these guys from our childhood who someone makes a quick instagram reel or tiktok reel and it's like so and so eddie curry was a problem and it's like well yeah he was a problem to the teams he was on because he wasn't consistent was never in shape and was never really on a winning team but yeah sure his post moves were kind of cool every once in a while Hey, his one mistake is he forgot that he played for LeBron's Heat for part of the season when he lost, <laughs> what, 60 or 70 pounds that year. Everyone forgot about that. Yeah, that's fair. People forget <laughs> Dexter Pittman played for the Heat as well. Oh, my God. I, I don't know why I'm going on about this. This is technically a Cavs pot. All right, sure. Let's talk about Evan Mobley. Who I would love to. First half, just like last night, really wasn't there. was kind of invisible. Then Pete, we get to the third quarter. He starts looking for his shot. He's getting around the paint. He's throwing up double, triple shot fakes in the lane. Winds up with 14, 8, 5, 2, and 2 on plus 8. His, really, his main impact came in the third quarter. But for me, it was the fact that he was just putting shots up. He was finally making moves, and it's clear he's he'd rather be a 4. That's my early takeaway on this season. That, that You should not trade the man in the middle who will hopefully please – be back soon, but showed some flashes of what he was doing last year. And I think that his play in the third gave him the confidence they needed to come out in the fourth and put this thing away. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting that you went there right away. Cause part of my question about Evan Mobley was going to be that concept, right? That idea of if Jared Allen should be moved, right? Cause not that I think that it should happen. I just think for the Cavaliers to unlock their potential it really is dependent on Mobley hitting this next level, hitting this plane of not just a good, a really good defender and cerebral offensive player, right? It feels like he needs to step up into becoming a mainstay <laughs> offensive producer. And I, I thought I saw in the first game of the back-to-back -back and the second game, him looking for that shot more, looking to create for himself a little bit more. Obviously, the passing is such a great skill for him, and you don't want to lose that but I really do think it's important for him to become a true point producer for this Cavs team to hit that next level. And, and unfortunately that's just going to lead to the Jared Allen conversation. It's very similar to Jaron Jackson down in Memphis and how much more success he has when Steven Adams is on the floor, his, his defensive uh, blocking numbers, his steel numbers are always better when Steven Adams is around. And you could probably say similarly about Mobley, but so you, you watch these last two games or last, you know, five games, I guess, without Jared Allen, and you're thinking the opposite. You're thinking that he needs that presence, that center, to really be the big body down low so he can roam, be a little bit more of that free safety style player, and that opens up his offense because, to me, the offensive side of it is where it gets a little bit more frisky and maybe not as clear of how it'll work out. And, look, he wasn't even that bad yesterday, but it's the fact that he shot three of nine and was a minus 19. He had his 12 rebounds. He had his five assists. He had his two blocks, but six points without a free throw. And then yesterday he had the issue of – and it's only an issue just because maybe they're not ready for this many minutes, but he had to play Amani Bates about half the game. He had to play Craig Porter more than 20 minutes. A lot of that was circumstantial. And what I didn't realize, Don did not even make a three yesterday. That's a big surprise. 
I'm looking at yesterday's score, but the fact that it was Sam Merrill making a shot that had us excited, and I'm not knocking that. I loved him in the summer league. He was a huge part of the title. Crazy, he's already, what, 28 years old. He's aged very fast. He has a ring, and since then, is, I think he stepped, uh, stepped out of the hyperbolic time chamber and doubled his birthday count per year. But we were excited about a Sam Merrill shot, and I'm not hating on that. But this early in the season, that is really sad when – and again, no sign of disrespect. I really like him, and he's the reason Delovadova made the Kings, so no complaints. But as the last guy cut, Delhi beat him for the roster spot, and then eventually Sam Merrill got to the Cavs because Delhi went to the Kings, and he helped us last year. But it was, it was brutal. And then today, and real quick on, uh, on Mobley, on that discourse – uh, you made some really good points there. Uh, I think the most important is that he's still, what, 21, 22 years old. He's, he's still growing into his body. You wish he, you wish he was big, uh, huge by now. But it took Giannis a couple of years, and I'm not comparing, but it took Giannis a few years to really get into himself. He came into the league as a small forward. Now he's a true 4-5. Uh, I think Evan can be a 5 at some point, but you still need a bigger 4 next to him, kind of like what the Spurs are doing for right now throwing Zach Collins next to Wemby and no one, no one's saying that's the wrong move. I think it's the perfect move for them. And it allows you the defensive versatility at which Mobley and Island together gives you that few other teams had. And when you had the two of them with Lowry Markkinen, even more so. And when one guy was out, you just slide up the next, but someone teach George Neang how to shoot a floater because those floaters, you know what? Disgusting. Don't don't sleep on George Niang. I'm sure it's a it's a rocky start for you guys, uh, Cavs fans. But I've watched this guy just be an assassin for three years in a row. I mean, I I heard Mike Breen say it on the broadcast tonight. He shot forty percent from three for three different teams now, and that's incredibly impressive. So to that point, like George's Niang, I think he's actually going to be one of those spacers that you desperately needed last year, and he's going to end up being a huge component for your team, like. To, to the point of, of the offensive side of it with Mobley and Allen, that's where I have concerns with, because I love Jared Allen. I love him in Brooklyn. I think he's a great player, but with Mobley next to him, it makes both of those guys kind of clog up the paint a little bit. Mobley hasn't proven that he can step outside of what, like 12 to 15 feet and shoot yeah, yet. So with Georges Niang, if they can hold up defensively, because Mobley is so good on the defensive side, that's that, that unit that comes in when Allen sits and can be electric. And, you know, obviously you don't want to compare it to one of the, the true small ball peaks of like the Warriors or something like that. But just from like an idealistic standpoint, you know, Mobley could be a Draymond style player, very different body size, de de very different physicality, but the defensive versatility, the passing is so good. And then if you have the Niang side of it where he's knocking down three balls, that's dangerous to me. And as an opposing fan watching the Cavs, you know, when I watch the Cavs not playing the Knicks, I typically kind of lean towards rooting for them a little bit despite the standing battle that we may be in as a Knicks fan here, but just cause I like your players. I like Garland. I like, I like Allen. I like Mitchell, whatever it is, what it is. But to me, that lineup would be so scary to watch Mobley, Niang, Mitchell Garland, and, you know, throw in whoever you want, Dean Wade, who I happen to really like, despite his lack of production sometimes. Um, I, I think that's really scary. And I think that type of setup Again, if they can hold up defensively over a longer period of time, that's the scariest lineup to me. No, and I'm with that. I think the thing with and the, the S is silent in, the, in George, by the way. It's not it's not popularly known because you don't hear his name out loud much. But I don't, I don't know why it's spelled with an S. It's not Georges. It's George. 
It's just George. Yeah, I, don't I know. always thought people just called him George for short. So I, I just, I knew that, and I didn't even care. <laughs> no, I did. I, um, I grew up with a kid named Luca, but it was L U C A S. Mm. So I, I don't, I don't understand him either. But nonetheless, um, yeah, it's, nonetheless, it's... <laughs> non. If we're cutting out the s's at the end of words, nonetheless. My last name is my last name is in shambles right now. <laughs> I'm just Zach. Why? <laughs> Zach who? Zach what? No. <laughs> but uh, when Garland and Mitchell are together, and I do think defensively they do enough. I think they force enough steals. I think they force enough swings, and I think at certain points they get teams out of system because they're just thinking, "Oh, we can post them up." Eventually, they're not going to have the touches around the perimeter they need with thinking they have those advantages, and I think it works in their favor. But I think Niang and Struess and all these other guys will be great when everyone's healthy. Because Struess on opening night, he was open every time against the Nets. He was catching, shooting immediately. He's missed the same shots. I think he'll have more time when Garland is the one facilitating. Because the fact is they played four straight games without a true point guard on the court for more than 10 to 15 minutes a night. And I'm not knocking Craig Porter, who we all have very high hopes for, but he needs to learn the game. He needs to dominate or play at a high level in the G League first in order to get that NBA confidence, which unlike all the other two-way guards the Cavs have had in recent years, he's going to be the first one to really make a huge impact all year long. Brandon Goodwin's probably the most recent from a couple of years back. RJ Nemhard never really had this opportunity. But he'll get there, and I think Amani Bates is another guy who you saw last night Airballed the first shot, then hit that nice one from the corner. And again, the fact that we're so excited about that. Yes, it's Amani. Let's go. He's here. But also, like, damn, we're this excited about one corner three just because he airballed the previous shot. Maybe the excitement would have been less if he hadn't. So these two games, Pete, for me, taught me that if they met again in the playoffs, with if this was the lineup for the Cavs, it's a Knicks sweep and maybe a gentleman's sweep. Then you add the stars in and we see what happens. But it showed me they're still tougher than the Cavs are. And I don't care that Jarrett's out. You should still be able to be tough. Tristan Thompson can only do so much for his stretches on the court. His impact is going to be less than it was his first tenure, but he's still going to be out there. I, I think he can still get rotation minutes ahead of Jones when everyone's back, which makes me really excited because it, you almost fill the void of what Kevin Love left. Very different impacts. Love will impact a lot more statistically and spreading the floor and shooting. But it's the toughness. It's the leadership. It's understanding Cleveland culture from years past and merging it with present with bringing him to the team. And that's it, though. It's just him and Evan to grab rebounds. Yeah, Niang had eight, but I feel like there were so many times where he just wasn't grabbing it. There were so many times, again – where Mitchell Robinson just was eating the Cavs alive. What did he have, 17, 18 rebounds in this game tonight? Like, my goodness. Yeah. And, well, to go back to that Cavs larger picture point, I think that's what gave me pause when I gave my, you know, preseason outlook on on the Eastern Conference is I still expect the Cavs to be that great regular season team. Now, obviously, we're not going to, rush to judgment over these first uh, couple games here because of the injuries. But when it comes down to the tougher situations, like you talked about, if the Knicks and Cavs met in the playoffs again, I still think the Knicks advantage is the same as it was last year. It's when, 
when Mitchell and Garland are off the floor, who is going to take up those minutes? Now, I thought Porter played with great confidence. You can argue he played with too much confidence at times in those first uh, or these last two games. But the depth for the Knicks is so clearly a strength, which was a little bit notched down because R.J. Barrett was out in, in the second game. But that's where the strength lies for the Knicks. For the Cavs, you got some new faces in there, but those faces aren't going to fill the void of that point guard or that secondary point guard behind Mitchell and Garland, right? Like that's still going to be an issue and they're going to have to play what 39 minutes a game uh, again. And like, that's where it quickly becomes such a game changer for the Knicks and, and the Cavs just don't have that depth to lean on. Now, if Struess and Dean Wade and Karis Levert can be those people, obviously we spoke at length about Karis Levert and his shortcomings as well as his talent, uh, into that playoff series last year. To me, he's just not the most reliable facilitator. He can do it. He just chooses not to from time to time. So that makes me a little bit nervous about the Cavs um, on the big picture front. Like I'm not worried about them winning 48 to 53 games. I think that's near a lock because of the talent they have at the high end. But what are those other guys going to be able to do to fill that void? Are they going to be able to out-rebound a Mitchell Robinson because clearly that's a matchup issue for them that they can't handle at the moment. And there's other guys in this league who can do what Mitchell Robinson does. So, yeah, to me, it's just a, a matter of can they make some moves to sure up that bench to create a little bit more of a strength in numbers to balance out that attack? Because like you saw in these last two games, if Mitchell's not hitting shots, especially without Garland, it's just going to be tough for you to get consistent offense. It's not going to be easy. I do think Karras has taken a huge step forward in the four games he's played in this year. Now it's a very small sample, but look good. Opening night he did struggle overall, but he still managed to hit three threes, which was not the everyday case last year. Tonight he put in the 19 points. He had the 31 against Indy in the start, and I, he was my pick for sixth man of the year. I know the race right now is insane with so many players. Like we'll have to wait a couple more weeks to see who can actually be. And IQ will be in the conversation again, but it's not going to be him and Brogdon. Brogdon's actually playing well again, but there's no chance he gets a repeat sixth man of the year. I didn't even know he was going to stay in Portland. I'm, I was kind of shocked opening night when I saw him playing 25 minutes, but I've seen a few Blazer games. And He'd I do be a great ad for you, by the way. He'd be a, a awesome calf my I, god that that's exactly option? what you need probably is not he, but <laughs> it could it was. could be i don't know what they want for him I, I just i didn't think i thought his health was still an issue i didn't know he was even playing because the celtics were worried about his elbow yeah and he's been out here playing 25 minutes a night while mentoring scoot uh, simon's being out hasn't hasn't messed them up yet they had a nice win over uh shorthanded pistons team tonight caught the end of that game but anyway anyway uh, closing thoughts here uh, as we will look ahead to both team schedules. Look at the next three games, and we'll do some record picks. All right, Nick's got a fun next three games. You got the Bucks on Friday. Then you got a nice weekend of rest. Then you'll probably be the James Harden debut at MSG on Monday. And then they get Wembenyama. Oh, my God. Good luck with those ticket prices next Wednesday when Wemby comes to town. 7.30 next Wednesday. So you got Road Bucks, Home Clippers, home Spurs, assuming that they have a full-strength roster, especially with a couple days between every game. What's your record for the Knicks in that stretch? I think that the Knicks are going to turn back uh, to a positive note a little bit here. I think Brunson's been a little bit inconsistent early on so far. Obviously, Randall similarly hasn't really had one of, uh, one of the classic Randall games just yet. 
I think going to Milwaukee is always going to be difficult. I'm never going to chalk that up as a win, but I do think that the uh, Clippers and Spurs games back at home are going to be wins. So I'm going to say two and three over the next three for the Knicks. Uh, just, you know, never going to say that Giannis is going to be, you know, expected to lose. That's not something I'm in the business of. Yeah, tonight was a weird one. They had some, the Pacers lost by 51. I didn't know. I was watching a little bit early on. The Celtics beat the Pacers 155-104. The bench unit in the fourth scored 46 points. My God. Delano Banton had 11 points. What were you doing last year, Nick? I don't even know who that is. I don't even know. And I watch about as much basketball as humanly possible. That's all right. Zach, before we go on to the Cavs schedule, can I ask you a question? Sure. I want to ask you the similar question that I, I was talking about with the Cavs for the Knicks, right? So as an opposing fan, I'm going to say outside of Brunson because I think it's pretty clear that he is the number one option on this team. So outside of Jalen Brunson, who is the person who kind of scares you the most in the Knicks lineup when they're cooking or when they hit a shot or two that kind of just goes to you? Okay, we got to watch out because this guy might get hot and he might take over this game, et cetera. So I will say it's very game dependent with that team just because I think the roles change throughout the course. And I think Tibbs is okay with that. The obvious answer would be Julius Randle just because I've seen how many crazy shots he's made for all the shot chucker and three point merchant or whatever people want to call him. I've seen him hit some insane shots and then the buzzer beaters, the clutch ones, two all-star seasons, I don't care that he had six tonight. I still felt like often when he got the ball, I'm still afraid when it leaves his hand as an opposing fan. Whereas being a fan of the team, I know I'd feel different. But some nights it could be Josh Hart because in the first round series, he makes the hustle plays. When a shot goes up, I know we're not going to get a defensive rebound because Mitchell Robinson is there and Josh Hart is there and they're all great at back tapping and just pulling it down. You're going to get the star, the star guards in foul trouble in the process. But then other times, like I was watching IQ this evening. It'd probably be him for today. Every shot he was taking was good. He was getting a lot of fouls. You know, it wasn't a ton of contact. We're not here to debate the the officials here because I thought overall it evened itself out today. But he wasn't missing. And I've seen him hit some 30-footers as he's gotten more calm. Remember the back of the days of Quivers with him and Austin Rivers, you know, uh, when they were both hot. Yeah. Uh, the last time Austin Rivers was on an NBA high. Now he's a what an analyst now uh, with his, with his dad. But anyway, uh, he's still on the team. I think he, he's right. No, he, no, he, um, he didn't go back on the ESPN rotation. Now I thought rivers went back to Minnesota. Does that no. not, is that not true? Oh my God. Not. You, you can double check that. He's got a, he's got a podcast with the ringer called off guard or something like that. But yeah, uh, that's how he, that's why I keep seeing him pop up. Yeah. He's not back with Minnesota. That's no, crazy. No, but real uh, unrelated, unrelated. Then I'll, I'll pick the Cavs. But my answer to you would be most of the time, Julius Randall and Josh Harden IQ would be one B one C. Yeah. No disrespect and, on RJ, but I just don't feel like I will come into a game thinking he's going to score 35 and get, get the side of fries and a dub. The, the reason I asked is because, it's really easy before the season starts to say, oh, the Knicks have all these different guys who are going to be consistently good and put up numbers and et cetera. And then you watch them night to night and you realize that it really does depend on more than one person to be good every night. And until Randall starts being consistent again, which I'm not nervous that he won't be 
uh, it just it makes you think, is this offense going to be a little bit more of a slog than we expected? Uh, just because there was in the preseason, everything's you know butterflies, right? Oh, quickly, he's going to do this. RJ's going to do that. Randall's going to do this. Hart and DiVincenzo, it's beautiful. What a beautiful thing, right? But then you watch it in moment to moment, and you say, oh, my gosh, they're not getting good shots right now. And that's why I'm just curious as an outside fan or a, a opposing fan, I should say, what makes you more nervous to, to see? And I, I think the quickly thing has to be big this year. So, yeah, continue. And the Knicks are a better version of that Nets team that uh, snuck in as a six seed where it's like we got left-handed, all-star caliber point guard, D'Angelo Russell, and then just a bunch of guys that will kind of interchange whose night it is. You got your center, and then besides that, you don't know who it's going to be. You have all these options, six or seven guys. They're going to move the ball well, and different times it's going to be different players. So that's kind of the way I view that. And obviously a better version is they just made a second round and they were not in my top four preseason. It's still way too early to amend that, but we'll see what happens. My only other question for you, then I'll pick the Cavs and we'll sign off is with all these players with shows, do you have a favorite? I don't, I don't listen to full clips, but I love the, the shorter ones pulled from PG from Lou Will, uh, for obviously the Austin Rivers show, uh, Alt Smoke every now and then. JJ Reddick, obviously, is the biggest, but do you have a favorite? I think when it comes down to strictly basketball analysis, I'm going to go JJ Reddick. I think he has probably one of the best perspectives in the game, and that's ex players versus pure analysts alike, right? He's just really good at breaking down the game talking about players' strengths, weaknesses in a way that's understandable to us. Uh, so I think JJ does a great job with that. But I got to give this one a shout-out because I haven't loved this guy throughout his career. In fact, he infuriates me from time to time. But the PBEV pod provides some great entertainment. I got to say, between Pat Bev and Roan, who is a comedian type who does the co-hosting with Pat Bev on that show, it's entertaining and they do some funny stuff and PBEV kind of doesn't care what he says. He speaks his mind, which I appreciate and all good po podcasters have to do so. So I give PBEV a shout, even though on the court, he drives me nuts because he yeah, acts he like he's uh, a freaking, you know, five time all-star when he's a bench player at best. But on the podcast, I enjoy Pat Beverly. I'm not afraid to say it. I, that's my bad leaving him off. And I, I respect that pod a lot because the social media manager, the one who's putting out all the clips that you see is someone whose games I called his freshman year, uh, former division three point guard, Jordan Petway, who really does everything you could think of. Shout out Endicott, obviously, but he, anything you could think of, he's got a really great basketball portfolio. He's done some stuff with slam and he might still, he's got a building a huge brand. I know he manages the pod and does some other national stuff, but that's why I've liked that pop from the beginning because it's very rare for something like that to happen. And, you know, the person's kind of in your age bracket and then they're, they're running it, someone you know well. So I think for that reason, it's given me – I think it's the only pod I follow really – I actually press follow on because all the other clips just pop, pop in my feet. And I'm not mad about that because I've lived on the For You on, on X slash Twitter, whatever these days. So I, I really do enjoy that one. Yes, Pat Bev's crazy, but they they know how to get clicks. They know how to survive with all these player pods, and I give them a lot of credit for that. And then, Makes it harder for you and I. Eh, well, <laughs> we get there. It, it's, it's all about having fun at the end of the day. We're not doing this Absolutely. to be seen by 50,000 people. If that happens, that's wonderful. 
but you know, uh, getting out there, it's a passion project. It's a great passion project. Are you in a new network, by the way? Did you? No, man, I'm riding solo, bro. I'm letting it rip solo. Um, I'm, I'm going for it. Subway Sports Talk is out here just doing my own thing. I got my rotating cast of co-hosts who I appreciate and adore, including guys like Pat Boyle and Cody O'Connor, Alec Argento, give him a shout out, Mark Shen Lugan. So if anyone wants to listen to some horrible takes, Mark Shen Lugan's on my podcast as well. You guys don't know who he is. That's okay. If He actually doesn't have horrible takes. I just We have to mess with him because he has strong takes. That's what I'll say about my guy, Mark. But we do football, basketball, baseball. The NFL picks are hot right now, Zach. We're, we're crushing it. I'm 13, 7, and 1. Who'd so we're co- cooking through week 8. What was the tie? Uh, this Oh, dude, the Saints against the Green Bay Packers. I was in New Orleans for the game. Mm-hmm. And they were up, what, 18 or 19? No, no, 17 nothing or something like that. And in the fourth quarter, Derek Carr got hurt. Jordan Love had his only good moment of the season because he stinks, and they won by one point. I was so mad. I was so mad. Wait, that was the tie? No. Oh, well, I had the minus one. Sorry. I had the Saints my, uh, oh. minus one, plus one. Oh, God. I had them plus one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I had no, them plus fair. one. They were up 17 nothing. Derek Carr gets hurt. They blow the lead in the fourth quarter and lose by one. So I pushed. That was my tie. Okay. And now let's quit Cavs take. Wow, the Cavs are 13th in the East coming in tonight. Wow, who knew? I got the Pacers on Friday. That's a dub. I know Indiana's going to be coming in off losing by 50. But I hope that Darius is back. They're not going to lose to Indy twice. This might be an in-season tournament game. Uh, Warriors-Cavs on Sunday. That's a loss. I know it's in Cleveland, but I'm very intrigued by the Chris Paul Warriors. I haven't watched a four-quarter game yet. I've seen a couple quarters here and there so far. Love what he's brought. Uh, we'll see how it works when they're at full, full strength. I don't know if they've had a fully. I think Kuminga's out right now. I saw them playing Trace Jackson and Brandon Podzinski the other night. I don't know who the second guy that was out was. Maybe it was Clay. But they scare me a lot. And then the Thunder on Wednesday is also going to be a redemption win. They'll split the season series. Thank goodness we don't have to see Chet a third time. I know they blew a big lead to the Pelicans and lost today by four. But Chet Holmgren fills out a lineup perfectly. They just have no idea how to manage their bench, even still. Because they got seven or eight guys that Diagonal likes, and he has no clue who to play for how many minutes. Perfect starting lineup. And Jay Dub, I didn't think was going to be a four. I thought he was, I thought the door was going to come off the bench and they were going to start Jay Will with Jay Dub, the two Jalen's with Chet and bring Dort off the bench, but they're proving me wrong. We'll see. Still no bench. It's a five-man lineup. And then what Casey Wallace is okay. Isaiah Joe has his moments. Poku plays well sometimes. I think uh, whoever their backup center was supposed to be has been hurt of Jalen. But I got the Cavs going two and one on this stretch. And my final comment for you here, Pete is uh, going back to your to your pod shout-out. I think you really like saying your your friend Mark Shenlugan's last name because you said it multiple times in short <laughs> order, and I had to comment on that. Yeah, Mark Shenlugan, also known as Mark Skip Lugan, because uh, Sk- he loves Skip Bayless. And if, you, if you're sending tweets to the group chat of Skip Bayless to back up your points, no, that's not, that's not good, bro. You know what? You try to say that, what, he hates Daniel Jones, which is fine. I'm not a huge Daniel Jones fan either. But he'll put a, a, a text about Daniel Jones and then send in a Skip Bayless tweet to back up his point. I'm like, no, that doesn't make your point better. It makes it worse. Okay, Skip Lugan, 
So yeah, his, his last name is fun to say when you're being salty. So we love Mark. It's just really fun to mess with him and he loves to mess with us back. And Skip Bayless follows exactly zero people on Twitter. So he doesn't even care what people are saying. He just posts and gets off. I don't think he engages with anything. It's just his diary that he doesn't, that, that people actually read. It's a reverse diary. <laughs> it's a refer- yeah, exactly. He doesn't even reread tweets. He just goes all caps and hits send. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Fox sports do your thing, right? But yeah. No, Can I say that? I think the Cavs are going to go one and two in the next, next games. Who are we beating? You're beating the Warriors. Okay. I mean, I'd be happy to beat the Warriors. Um, and I'll give the Knicks. Let me pull this back. I think <laughs> I got you guys going one three, and I don't say that in a negative way. I don't – the Spurs, I've watched two full Spurs games this year. Sure. They're frisky. I didn't watch last night after the Cavs. I'm like, I need to go to bed because I was, I was exhausted last night. Um, but – I think this is going to be a fun matchup, though, seeing Wemby and Mitch go at it. Although, honestly, Wemby's probably going to be guarding Randall. Or are they going to just float him on Barrett or Grimes? Grimes probably the best idea. Then you can move everyone else. If you're starting Sohan, that's pretty easy. You put Sohan on Randall, and they got the most switchable lineup in the world, even though it doesn't move the ball very well on the other end. I think the Bucks get it going, and I think the Clippers are sneaky. The, way, the, the team they'd be most likely to beat in this stretch, I'd say, would be the Clippers. I just think the Bucks coming off their dud tonight against Toronto are going to regroup. And the two duds in four games, Dame has had three bat mediocre games in a row. So I think the Knicks are going to be, unfortunately, be the team that he gets his first 30-piece against. But we'll see what happens, right? That, that could be – I don't know if Middleton's going to play. They have some weird rest strategies there but i do like the bucks bench rotation i like malik beasley's fit the one game of theirs i watched in full in even though they lost by what 25 the other night to the hawks i liked malik beasley i like pat Connaughton. Uh, i i they're not great right now but they're going to be and i think they're due just to, to go on this run because just like the patriots you never and i don't know why i'm footballing it right now but you never judge the first four games when you had tom brady you judge the next five, six, seven after the first week when you've had cohesion, you've had practice, and you've gone through it together. So yeah. that's, that's my closing thought for today's pod. I would agree with that. You can't freak out too much. It's so early. You look at the standings in the East and it's like, you know, everyone's two and three or three and two. It's nothing to, it's nothing to be too scared of yet. The, this constant standings checking uh, doesn't need to be happening frequently until another like, you know, three to five weeks. Exactly. And the Jazz are beating the Grizzlies by 27. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, I saw that when we came on. And with Walker Kessler only playing 17 minutes. And Colin Sexton scoring 18 points. Yes, sir. Your boy. It's, it's a tough start for him this year. Tough start for Abadji, shooting 20% from the field, averaging two points a game. But they're going to win tonight, and I am a Utah Cavs fan forever and always. Mm-hmm. And that's not a spoken typo. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yep, I figured. <laughs> All right, Pete, pleasure having you on. We talk some Knicks, we talk some Cavs, we talk some classics, we talk some future, and looking forward to reversing and coming on the SST pod. And I'll even get football picks that day. I'll let, I'll let people lose money because of the words that come out of my mouth. I will allow it. I will give free advice, free losing advice from Zach Weiss. What you have to remember always, it's just as hard to get a pick wrong as it is to get right. That's fair. That's 
can I hang that? Can I put that up behind me for the next episode? Yeah. If to, go ahead. Go try to get as many picks wrong as possible on Sunday. You'll probably do just fine. <laughs> All right. Well, my one pick on probably NFL schedule. I don't know what my closing thought will actually be NFL. All right. First thought. All right. Will Levis will start for me in fantasy tomorrow mm. over CJ Stroud. And might do the same. Not, say it again. I might do the same thing actually in a league. And he's going to throw three touchdowns, 240 yards, and they're going to beat the Steelers by 10. And the Steelers win by one. <laughs> That's what the Steelers do. The Steelers play terrible for three and a half quarters and then win. It just makes no sense. Yeah. They, I mean, what's the first syllable of their name? Steel. That's what they do to games. They, mm. they don't, they don't deserve the wins, but they they go what's his they go vulture from Brooklyn Nine Nine they vulture the they vulture the game away in the final seconds. What a great show! That's the perfect way to close up. He's Pete Kennedy. I'm Zach Wise. We'll see you next time across the Castle Network two one six. <laughs>